Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Front and Nationwide. We've got a few people streaming in here. We'll give it a few minutes for the for the crowd to populate. Um, thanks for joining us, as always. If you have a question, you can either step to the queue or you can post it in the, the text uh, section of this. Um, we can talk about all kinds of things today. Um, Blue Jackets are in Tampa tonight. Of course, a 4 nothing loss to Florida on Tuesday. This could be a tough trip for them. It almost feels like that game Tuesday was their best best chance uh, for a W, but we'll see. You never know what's going to happen from game to game. Um, Daniil Tarasov in net tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning and another backup for the Blue Jackets with um, Brian Elliott starting for Tampa Bay. Um, give it a couple more minutes for more people to join so we don't discuss things before they get here. Right now, we just have one person uh, on the stage. Um, we'll get to those first, then we'll get to the text uh, messages after that. Uh, we can talk about all kinds of things. I think um, I don't want to say that interest in in these games is waning, but I, I think most people are kind of um, – they could – if you could hit a magic button and sort of fast forward through some of this stuff here, you might, because uh, the trade deadline is going to be interesting for this team. Certainly the draft next year is going to be huge. The lottery of before that. Um, I still think there's some things that need to be attended to uh, during this season. Uh, one of them is, is getting Elvis Merzlikens straight. Um, and I've spoken to a couple of goaltending experts, former NHL goaltenders uh, recently, uh, who are broadcasters now, uh, just to get their thoughts on where they see Elvis's game, uh, where they see the cracks and how it can be fixed, um, just their thoughts on on him. It's such an interesting position. There are NHL coaches that won't discuss it because it's such a specialized craft. So when in times like this, I always think it's best. I see things and I I it looks to me like Elvis has been overplaying things for quite a while now, but I'd rather ask somebody who's truly an expert uh, on it to, to weigh in. Um, and I have to say they, they kind of agree with that. They also have reasons and thoughts as to why that might be. Um, so yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, I think that's going to publish Saturday. It, it may, we may sit if we're, we're trying to get a third person because it's always best with a, with a third expert to weigh in. Um, and as soon as we do that, we'll turn around pretty quickly. Um, but Elvis is going to be the guy for a little while here. Corpy's out for another week or so. Um, we can talk about the draft. I posed a question last night on Twitter. Would If, if, if losing the, the final 54 games, and yes, there are still 54 games to go, if that were the price to pay for Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli, would you pay it? Uh, the two presumed top picks in this summer's draft to um, future number one centers. There's also Leo Carlson there, who's considered probably likely to go three over Michkov because of position, because of contract status. Um, but we're that's getting ahead of ourselves. But sometimes in, if you're in a season like this, getting way ahead of yourself can be preferred. Um, we can talk about anything you guys want. We posted a thing today about the UFAs, um, Gavrikov, Nyquist, Corpusalo, what might the NHL trade deadline look like for them? Um, so chime in, please. You are the 
the stars of this podcast. And we're going to start in the queue, the stage queue. Jonathan B., you are first up to the plate. Go ahead, Jonathan. Hey, Gordy. Uh, thanks for that piece today. I really enjoyed reading it about the UFAs. Awesome. A couple of questions regarding that, mainly two. The first is um, kind of touching on Corpus Allo's trade value. I, I know you mentioned best case scenario would be like a second or a third round pick. And I'm just really curious as as to your thinking there. And the, the reason I ask is Marc-Andre Fleury only got a second round pick last year. And he's got Stanley Cup pedigree, Hall of Fame credentials, a little, sure. little more of a track record there. And I know the Jackets have kind of been at least a couple of seasons here. And in, in, it's been said ad nauseum how goaltenders are notoriously hard to trade at the deadline. So just wanted to kind of, you know, delve into your thoughts on that second, third round kind of projection there. And then uh, just a question after that as well uh, about a different player that wasn't mentioned in your piece. Yep. Uh, so to that, I, I think it's important to keep in mind the qualifier before that second and third round return being possible. And that was depending upon how he plays over the next two months and whether or not he stays healthy. Those are two big ifs. I think he'd have to play better than he has now. I think he has to stay healthy. Um, But if teams think that they're going to get a goaltender who can start for them and who could sign an extension and remain with their franchise, I think those are possible. I'll grant you a third round seems much more likely than a second, especially in a draft like this one that's so loaded. Um, but I think those first two things would have to be in place first. He'd have to play really well, better than he has more consistently, which may or may not be possible based on the team in front of him and him staying healthy, which as we've already mentioned, he's out of the lineup again. So right now there's no way you're getting a second or a third. Um, a lot of things would have to happen. Uh, yeah. But if you're, if you're the Blue Jackets, I think you have to think in in these ways, though, in terms of of playing him, playing him in good situations to to create maybe a better marketplace for him if you can do that. Anyway, what was your second question? So uh, another piece went up from the National Writers about kind of the, the first edition of the big trade board. And um, yeah. Gabrikov is on it. Obviously, yeah. he's going to be a big piece. But the other name from the Jackets was Jack Roslevic. And I think most of the fan base here is just kind of maddened by him and his inconsistency. You know, four points, one game, and a complete ghost for the next 15 or the previous 15. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, what is the appetite for the Jackets to maybe move on from him, recognizing, you know, he does did just get a fresh contract. He is a local kid. But yeah. also recognizing kind of their frustrations with him. And then where... I just, I don't understand the market from like what contender is going to want to pony up assets for him with that inconsistency thinking for like a playoff push or would they trade him to like another team kind of in the jackets position, you know, looking to maybe recoup some young talent and just kind of, and and then the the, the additional layer of, you know, the jackets never really having enough quality centers. It just, it feels, it feels just like a strange, you know, hurricane of information and possibility. So here's the situation with Roslovic. The Blue Jackets have tried to make him a center since he's been here. I still think there are a lot of people in this league that think he's a winger. And not that he's, how to say this, not that he's better suited for the wing, but that he, 
I guess it depends on how you present this. They don't think he's a center. It's the best way to say it. Um, and it's defensive liability and puck awareness as much as anything. So I think there are teams, the Blue Jackets have tried to make him a second line center. There are times, uh, Calgary and who they beat the other night, Los Angeles, where it looks like they're on to something. The last 23 games of last season, it looked like they were on to something. It's in there. But I think there's also a realization here that Jack is 26 years old or is turning 26. This is kind of who he is. I mean, NHL guys, you can always learn. You can always grow. But when you're still doing the same things at 26 that you did at 22, that's just kind of who you are. Um, so there, I don't think any playoff team looks at Jack Roslovic and thinks we can play him in our top six at center. But goals are an absolute premium. And if they've got a spot on a third line wing, a guy can kill a penalty too. I mean, I, some of his best scoring chances come shorthanded. There are tantalizing parts of his game that Blue Jackets fans see all the time. And there are GMs and coaches, <clears throat> excuse me, coaches who think they can fix that. I'll grab a gulp of water here. Um, so yeah, I don't think anybody thinks that Roslovic is the answer for them for a playoff run as a top six center, but I think there are a lot of teams who, who look at him and say, you know what, in our top nine as a winger, it's not a bad flyer. The guy, the guy can score, the guy can skate. There are skills there. Um, maybe if you take all that defensive pressure off him. And let him just play. It's a different situation. And if you catch, listen, if a team knew that they could get the Roslovic from the end of last season, there's a market for that. For sure there is. Um, I do think the Blue Jackets, I, I think frustration is a word that is fair at times uh, in terms of how they feel about him. They want it so badly to work here. Um, the contract, the situation this year, here's your opportunity. And I think they thought they were beyond this uh, in terms of his performance this year, and they clearly aren't. So I don't think he's being shocked. Uh, I don't, but I, I think, and I don't even think it's likely that he moves, but I think he's a piece that they would move if they got a fair offer, um, especially if they think they can redo center ice uh, with some help from the draft. Perfect. Thanks for your answer, Sporty. Thanks for covering this team, which is going to stress all of our patients this year, probably. <laughs> and um, just to kind of end with your question about losing 54 additional games for Bedard yeah. Pantilli, sign me up. Um, this season is going to be a lot of losses anyway. And if, take he, it. if there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that are these two guys who I've been watching them, hide their highlights, their game scores, yeah. that gets me excited. And that's going to make it worth it for me as a fan. Yeah. All right, man. We'll go get your sweater, mate. Go get your sweater, mate. <laughs> thanks, Sporty. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Uh, let's go to you are on stage. Go ahead. Hey, Sporty. How's good, it going? Man. How are you? <clears throat> good. Hey, I wanted to revisit something from last week. Uh, on Friday, Gabranson, he made a statement just to you guys regarding his post-game uh, yeah. His post-game comments about the practicing. Yeah. And 
that <laughs> that's almost more concerning in itself. The fact that this organization is mediocre and you know that they've been playing. Somebody got upset to the point where he had to do that, come out and say that to you guys. That that seems really troubling. I saw you you mentioned it in your the Sunday conversation, and I agree. It's, yeah, yeah, that's I, such I, a I minor just, thing to be focusing on. I mean, to me, if you just got beat by Buffalo nine to four, that a comment from and I honestly just to start with this, I didn't think the comment. I didn't hear it as a critique of coaches who, by the way, maybe you don't want to hear from your player, but by the way, are fair game for critique right now. Everything is when you just lost nine to four. But that comment in itself, to me, first of all, by the fact that it didn't run the next day, I, I thought that I didn't think it was a good quote. I just thought it was four or five on the list of good Branson quotes after that game. I didn't publish it. Uh, not to protect anybody, I just thought he had three or four other things that were more insightful after that game. I didn't hear it, honestly, when he said it as an attack. I heard it as a we, as a collective, as we aren't practicing well. And to your point, the fact that after a complete abomination of a game like that, that shouldn't be, I wouldn't think, in your top 100 concerns. Certainly not something that that a player feels the need or is asked to address the following day. I don't know who saw it or where they saw it. I don't think my my uh, friends and people who work at the Columbus Dispatch, I don't think they printed it either. So I don't know if it aired on TV, and that's where somebody heard it and didn't like it. Um, but again, it, it, you know what it reminded me? Uh, it reminded me of the early days of the franchise. I think on Sunday's notebook I referenced the the uh, Sergey Fedorov thing. Fedorov gave an interview. It was with Eric Stevens of, of the Orange. Then of the, he works for the Athletic now, but then of the Orange County Register, who knew Fedorov from his time in Anaheim. And we were both talking to Fedorov after a game. And Eric Stevens says, "What is it like to play between Zherdev and Nash?" And Fedorov, who was an, an incredibly insightful, incredibly insightful person. Um, paused and said, you know what? It's not easy. And he went on a rather, I thought it was beautiful. Uh, two and a half, three minute wasn't personal in any way, but he talked about how talented Zherdev and Nash were, how they had learned by their own talent and being so much better than the people around them, that they learned how to do the damage offensively by themselves. And what Sergei Fedorov was trying to teach them to do was to give him the puck and trust and know that Sergei Fedorov is going to get you the puck back in, in a better situation. In other words, the three of us need to work together. And I thought it was an incredibly insightful uh, comment. Management, Doug McLean specifically, did not. And Sergei Fedorov was, was, um, was uh, lit up privately. And was never the same again in Columbus. And his thought was, if you want me to be Sergei Fedorov, this is who I am. I can teach these kids. I mean, he's one of the most gifted players this game has ever seen. One of the most spectacular two-way players. If anyone needed two-way help at that stage of their careers, it was Nash and Jared. 
And I think it broke his heart that he was with a, a team that, that didn't know better and wasn't willing to listen um, to him. He had a lot to offer. It reminded me of that, where the, the focal point was not on fixing things, but in not expressing what it is that's not right. In other words, everything is messaging. It's not reality. It's messaging. And I, I don't like that. And I think I think um, I think good Branson. I hope he's not. I don't know what the word is. I hope he's not um, sobered by the by the by this that that it's not to him a wake up call of where he's decided to spend his next four years. Um, that's that's a veteran player that. Uh, I may be his chief defender in this town right now. That's a guy that deserves to be heard and should speak freely. Anyway, no, he's not. on quite a bit. It it does. It was a troubling thing for me as well. Uh, I'll agree with you there, Paul, as, as you would have noted in the Sunday notes. Yeah, no, he's, I mean, you know, he's, I don't think he's a eight, eight, nine, maybe a 10 year veteran of the league. He's been on a lot of successful teams. He's certainly earned the right to say something. Yeah. Especially, you know, when he's talking about the team in general. Yeah. And when you read that quote, did you go, whoa, 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 where did you go? Yeah, that's fair. No, I, I thought it was fair. I mean, it, you know, the teams, they haven't exactly been playing great hockey. So, no. you know, maybe there's something there. And it's like, OK, maybe this is a wake up call for the guys. I Yeah. But it's yeah. <laughs> the fact that he had to. Oh, no, this is what I meant. Let me clarify. Let me add yeah. some context is like, come on, guys. Be better. Yeah, it, 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 it certainly makes you worried about the, what the priorities are. Absolutely. <laughs> but appreciate it. Uh, where, where do you think that stems? Who, who does that come down from? Any you know, idea? I, there's, there's several candidates. I don't want to just guess because that's not okay. That's not cool. And, and good Branson clearly didn't want to talk about the, the next time I talked to him. He was rather clipped. I mean, not, not rude in any way, but just um, moving along, not, not in a conversational space, which you know, I can understand. Fair, fair enough. I appreciate the insight. Hi, right, Paul. Thank you. Thanks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Andrew, Andrew, why you are up on stage. Thanks for joining us here on Front and Nationwide. Go ahead. Hey, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? So, good. So my mine kind of goes around um, the Bo Horvat thing. And I, I know it's not about just chasing free agents or or whatever else like that, but you know, by Yarmo's own omission, like these guys don't come available very often. And um, 
and we have it we have an opportunity to address kind of the Bo Horvat thing, which which no, he's not like a high end one C, but definitely could fit the bill and and um as we heard last year coming out, like you know, you worry about kind of the wear and tear on Jenner because he's still running the same amount of minutes as he was last year. And and it, the, the idea would be, you know, to bring him in and, and move Jenner to 2C. Um, so you kind of like have two guys right up front there who are top 10 and uh, uh, top 10 and faceoffs, another locker room guy. And then, you know, you're not worrying about like coming into the draft because that's a big gamble. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you get a top end guy that, um, you know, not like a Bedard or something, you know, I highly doubt we're going to get him, but, um, but, you know, top 10 guy and worrying about for years to work them into that. And if they're ever going to be that, but you also give time for Sillinger and for KJ to kind of work into those roles if they can. But my question to you is, does that make sense? And, and, you know, and are, do you hear anything of them moving into anything like that for Bo Horvat? So the, the, the concern with Horvat if you're the Blue Jackets, is he is a UFA this summer. Yep. So at this juncture, I mean, there's just so many things that would have to be, that would have to get the right answer to, for this to make any sense at all. Would he be willing to sign at this juncture? So four months, five months from the season being over and him being a UFA. Would he be willing to sign an extension with Columbus if they traded for him? Because there's no way that Columbus in this, in the position it's in, they're not a stand on the cusp of a Stanley Cup for sure to make the playoffs type team. He's not a rental, in other words. They Uh would need this to be a long term uh, relationship. Is he willing to sign a long term contract with the Blue Jackets to help facilitate a trade? Further, if you're the Blue Jackets, you're talking what is what's the trade package for Horvat? It, it can't just be Roslovic and others. It's going to have to be, I mean, prospects. We're talking Kent Johnson or Cole Sillinger and maybe a top draft pick along with a Roslovic. That's a lot to give up. Unless you've got assurances that the guy can is going to stay, I'm not sure they'd give it up even if they knew he was going to stay for a young prospect like Kent Johnson. I, I just think there's so many. I think the Blue Jackets with Sillinger feel, and I know it doesn't look like this right now, but they feel like they've got their second line center. I think the hope is to add through the draft the other one this year. Certainly that could be the return for this season. If they finish, you know, they may not get Bedard. They may get Fantilli, but they may end up with Leo Carlson, which is a guy that a lot of people think is a difference maker. Um, what is the price for Horvat? Would he stay here long-term with, without even looking at free agency, which is a big ask for a guy that's that close to it? Um, I just think, I feel like there's so many, variables working against a trade i'm sure columbus has called and talked to vancouver about what it would take but i just i don't i think they're i think there are two teams that don't mesh based upon where the two teams are and where they're headed short term i grant you that's what the blue jackets need is horvat a one or a two i think he's a 
borderline one. He's playing like a one. He's producing like a one this year. Um, so it'd be great to have him, but with the price and 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 the not not being able to have assurances that he's going to stay long term. Um, if all those things fell into place, then sure. Um, I don't know. Let me just ask you: Would you trade a first round draft pick, Kent Johnson, and another player, say Roslovic, for Horvat, if you knew you could sign him long term? Uh, I, I would definitely say like Sillinger and KJ are definitely out of. I honestly it would start with me as I would not trade my 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 tw- you know 2023 draft pick. It would have to be a 2024 draft pick. Yeah, or you'd have to lottery protect it for sure. Yeah, or yeah, like you said, lottery protect like top ten or something else like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then the other thing it would be okay. You know, KJ and and Sillinger are basically off the table. Yeah. In your so, check, and so those three, you know, right. can't even talk about. You know, if you want to talk about somebody else, then yeah, we can we can do that. But I would not yeah. do it for the the 23 first or or any of those. Like I would look at those as core players that that are that are going to be there. Yeah, um, so we think the same way. And so if you're Vancouver and you're on the other side of that conversation you just had, are you making that deal? Well, I mean, if you look at something like Kuhlman's, if if we're willing to kind of give up on like Kuhlman's. Who they they're in dire need of of a right D and they're not going to make the playoffs this year either. Yeah. And he's gonna, he's going to come in. So if you're saying that and they're 2024 and you take you take a Roslovic, you know maybe that gets it done. And if I mean if they're willing to have that and like you said, it also comes back to if they allow us to talk to Horvat and say okay, you know what you know can you do a sign and trade? We go ahead and see this. If you come here. Will you sign you sign an extension? We already kind of worked that out. Yeah. Um. Like I said, I I, I honestly think those are what you brought up are the two, the two stopping points, but you know, I, I've, I, I've been around this team since, since the, since the inception and yeah. every, every time we get to the point to where we think we're going to get a high draft pick, the team goes on a tear in, in February oh. and March for some ungod <laughs> reason. You're and right. We put, we put ourselves out of like any, and so it's, it's almost one of those things of, you know, of being in a, being an analytic of seeing this too many years in a row. It's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not like banking on the draft for us to get our, to get our seed, you know, no matter how bad we look like this year. Um, because like I said, it just seems to like towards every year we go on a 10 games, you know, and, and we, we move ourselves enough points yes, um, to where we just, we get to the part to where all of the difference making centers are somebody we got to take a chance on um, or, you know, you end up picking a D or, or, or a winger or somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always explained as a launching point for next season. Absolutely, and, and we always hear and every every here. Blue Jacket. Sorry, every Blue Jacket nope. fan hears next season, next season, yeah, next season, then, next season. Next season arrives, and you're like, "Where's the launch point?" Well, I mean, the, the bigger thing, like we we you know, uh, we heard at the end of the last year was goals against was the bigger thing, and you know, and we're gonna we're gonna work on defense, and we're gonna work on you know, goaltending, and we go in and and Gabranson was signed from a physical presence, but really was not a difference maker. And and we're going to shatter. I mean, granted we have injury, but even when everybody was there, we were yeah. oh, we were not playing were well. well. Yeah, they so, were worse than the year than the year before. No question. Right, right. Yeah. So you you come in with those tendencies, and it's like, okay, you got to change something. Like, yeah. well, Horvat's available. If you can make it work, do it. If not, you know, I understand that. But yeah, well, I'm sure they've checked. I, I think the conversation we had. While not a uh, facsimile, is probably pretty close to the, the dynamics at work. Gotcha. Look, 
I got one other question for you. And, and what is your feeling on the Gavrikov situation? Because I, I feel like that's a pivotal one. If we, we lose Gavrikov, we're going to be even worse in defense next year. Yeah, well, I, I, as I wrote today, I can't imagine him possibly having more leverage. Yeah. I mean, holy smokes. <laughs> You're talking about a team that needs two top four D with him. Yes. And, you know, and you're going to have Wierenski coming back from shoulder surgery next year. Don't act like that's going to be easy at the start for him. That, there's going to be, he'll be well healed by them, but there's still going to be quite a an, an adjustment building strength up on that side of his, of his, uh, of his chest. Um, and that's a, that's a big surgery that he had. So I, he's got him like, I, I don't want to read, read, uh, everything I, I wrote here, but like, you know, one paragraph says getting him signed should be seen as the Blue Jackets big, biggest objective between now and May 3rd. They might not, they may not think they can afford his contract demands, but can they afford to lose him? I mean, that's, that's the bigger thing to me. Like what is his price? And I'm not sure they have much of a, of an R of a uh, argument here because uh, they are desperate, desperate for defensemen. And he's, he's their healthiest, best defenseman right now so absolutely he's, he's in a good spot Landry thanks for the thanks for sticking with us and thanks for the for the questions thank you thank you very much yep. let's go to Donald B Donald B you are now on Donald stage B, you are now on stage hey how's it doing, going good man how are you good, man how are you I can't complain so uh LA tele televinen or how you pronounce it I remember back in the Sub Jones trade, we were really hot on him, and he became and he was on the wire when we put a claim in for him. So, so where did he, he end up? Uh, Seattle, which was yeah, the twenty ninth, yeah. which was twenty ninth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I mean, if you're the Blue Jackets, I think you look at your situation, situation with first and foremost, foremost, and think you're kind of you're covered. Kind of covered. I think you also think you also what's been learned, been learned Eli told me Eli told over, over the last, the last few, years. few years since that since trade. That trade. And I think and his, I think um, his um, you know, I, you I know, think I his think his value is is the optimism around him has sort of dipped a bit since then. Um, you know, I I don't think he's seen as the big time prospect as he was then. The Blue Jackets would have been ahead of Seattle on in the pecking order of the waivers, so they could have had a crack at him if they wanted him. He the contract was reasonable though. I was sure he was going to get picked up. I think Seattle makes a little more sense just because they're maybe a, they're playing very very well right now. I still think they've got a lot of growth and a lot of questions at their forward position. So does Columbus, of course, but not really in a position to be adding uh, payroll at this time. Um, so yeah, I didn't really poke around on Eli Tolbannon very much, but I would not have been surprised, I guess, if they claim him. Um, let's go to uh, since in the text uh, area. John T says, "What kind of term is Gabby looking at for his new contract? Six by six? Uh, he suggests six by six. Um, I mean, I think that's probably in the ballpark. Neither side is saying publicly what the terms are. His agent, uh, Dan Milstein, spoke with him yesterday." Uh, texted back and forth, and he's not. Uh, they, they they don't want to be public with this, which is fine. Um, a lot of people don't like to to play these things out in public. But last we heard, 
the initial conversation was that the two sides were quite a bit apart. Um, Johnny H says, I'll start. How's your holiday shopping going, Aaron? Uh, any new music? Um, yes. Uh, holiday shopping is going very well. Thank you, Johnny. And uh, First Aid Kit just released a new album, Palomino, um, which is a little bit of a different sound for them. But first three tracks I'm already in love with. I keep hitting repeat on those three. I can't make it past um, those three, but those the two sisters from Sweden uh, can really rock your world. So looking forward to seeing them on tour this summer. Um, let's see. Craig L says, are the Blue Jackets planning on Texier being back next year? Or are they planning as if he won't be back? Well, I don't know about planning. Um, I would say they're proceeding as though he will be back. Now, forgive me to for maybe mincing words, but I, I don't think they're going to sign or not sign somebody best based upon expectations for him. I think they're hopeful is probably the best way to say that he's going to be back. Uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, of course, traveled to Switzerland a couple of weeks ago to dine with Texier, watched him play, um, and not much has been said since then. So, um, but at last check, at, at, you know, Yarmo told me that he seemed well. I don't think it was the purpose of that was not, hey, are you coming back next year or not? It was just to check in and to express a concern for his situation. Uh, John T says, if Elvis stays healthy, would you anticipate Eunice being moved at the deadline? I would say yes, if there's a market for that. Um, as noted in today's thing, I think if he if he starts to to play better and stay healthy, uh, Corpus all that is, I think there could be a market. Um, looking into your crystal ball, this is from Randy O. Who among Johnson, Marchenko, Chinikov, and Tex do you see as highly likely to be top six guys? Highly likely to be top six guys. I think the most certain of them is Johnson. I think Marchenko is probably the same as Tex in terms of being a top six guy. I would say that's probable. And I think Chinikov is possible as a top six guy, but could also be a, a third line guy. And that, that being a third line guy is not what it used to be. Of course, if you watch the NHL these days, you realize that teams tend to think in terms of top nine or where they used to think of top six. The real delineation comes between lines three and four, not between two and three anymore. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's that. John S. Porty, have you reached out to CBJ ownership to get their opinions on the state of the team? Well, McConnell always has an open invitation to speak to us. He is the majority owner. Um, he doesn't like to speak very often. He likes to leave it to his hockey people. But that's a phone call we usually make once a season. Um, especially in tough times to see what, what, what the uh, temperature is there. Uh, Jonathan O says, I feel like the Blue Jackets should set up well for the draft with Sfazel playing with Bedard. He's referring to the Regina Pats. Recent Michigan success to help with Fantilli and Denton playing in Moose Jaw with Jaeger there. Leaves a lot of options in my opinion. Ah, yes. So I think I can... Yeah, I can probably say this. I'm I'm going to pull off the Blue Jackets in January and go to Moose Jaw and hang out with Matichuk uh, for a couple of days, watch him play a couple of games, and then get up to Regina and see uh, Svozil play and that other guy. What's his name? Bedard. Um, 
for a game. Hope, hopefully track them down and talk to them about a few things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think they like Svozel playing with Bedard. I think Svozel loves playing with Bedard. <laughs> Look at his assist totals. Um, Johnson, of course, knows Fantilli a little bit. Is Johnson Ken Johnson, by the way, is really good friends with Bedard. Um, so maybe they'll be teammates again one day based upon that. Um, Chris B says, why did the Jackets bring up Tarasov on Tuesday? If only to sit him on the bench, will we see him start soon? Well, he will start uh, tonight against Tampa, Chris. Um, so there you go. I saw rumors of the Oilers trying to move Puglia Yarby. Thoughts on flipping the Bjorkstrand thirds for him. I... You know what? Yarmo knows Puglia Yarvi about as well as anybody. And he didn't draft him originally. I don't think he has that interest, that much interest in him now. But we'll see. It could be a value value add. Um, who knows where the Blue Jackets are headed right now? Uh, this is from a blank gray circle. I'm not sure of the name here. If Rosie from the end of last season would come back, we wouldn't want to trade him. That's fair. I think you would look at it differently now, though, a little bit, wouldn't you? Would you? Um, I don't know. Stephen B., back in the day when Elvis was still coming up, there was a fair amount of discussion on front of nation and why between you and Allison about who had the better goaltending technique or form. I seem to recall you guys saying that the goaltending expert felt that Elvis was more technically solid than Corby. But this year, there seems to be a lot of dissatisfaction with Elvis's technique. Maybe that's not from experts, or maybe Elvis is sloppy, or Corpy is just better now than healthy. You have any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, Stephen B. Let, let, I, I think Elvis's game is kind of a mess right now. He would probably tell you that. I do think it's been better since he's come back from the injury that, that caused him to miss a couple weeks. I think it was a hip injury. Um, it's still not as sharp as it needs to be. I have said for a while now that I think. I think what you can see is a breakdown in trust between him and his defenseman and his defenseman and him. I think that's only natural given how bad it's been. I think some of the early season games when this team was just a breakdown, a a living, breathing breakdown. I mean, my God, do you remember the games? Really, the opener against Carolina was bad. Tampa was god awful, but like the first two weeks of the season, three weeks of the season, they were mostly healthy. They could not defend anybody. Um, and it was so bad and so porous that I, I do think that a goaltender would kind of be shocked by it all, would kind of not know what to expect in front of him. And and I can see your game coming off the rails in, in that situation. I think it's better now. I think Elvis is better now. I think the play in front of him, let's forget about the Buffalo debacle if we can, has been mostly better defensively at times. Um, but still some, I shouldn't say better defensively, but fewer just just <laughs> mind-blowing breakdowns where, I don't know if you remember the game against Pittsburgh, but my God, that's Sidney Crosby. Why can someone cover Sidney guys Crosby? Did you lose 87 over here? I mean, that kind of stuff. You're just like, what in the world is happening? Anything you expect two guys to cover Crosby because they're freaked out by it. Not to leave them open in the bottom right circle. 
Um, so I would understand the goalie not trusting the play that he sees in front of him. Um, but I don't know how, I don't know how you get that back. That's why I reached out to Brian Boucher to Marty Biron about, you know, how do you fix this? What's the way out of this? And they were good. So I'm looking forward to publishing that. I think it'll, I think it will um, help everyone sort of understand what, what Elvis is going through right now. I talked to Elvis too, for sure, but sometimes it's best to have experts on the outside. What do you think the CBJ, this is from Andy J. What do you think CBJ's view on what Adam Bokfus could be? Seems like he has potential, but it's injured quite a bit. Yeah. So broken foot, I believe is where he's at right now. Should be back probably in a week, week and a half. Um, I think they see him. I think they see him as a borderline top four. Could yeah, could be a a third pair guy, second power play guy. He has offensive instincts, as we've all seen. He's also rather light, um, and I'm not sure if that's something that can be fixed. Um, Christopher A. Point, points out that Bogfist is wearing Murray's number 27, and that's bad luck uh, on the injury front. Um, I get your point, Christopher. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of upside. There's a there's a few defensemen they've got, like Jake Bean is in this category too, where you know, this year could certainly be useful uh in terms of what do you have with these guys. I think they're gathering information on these guys, but of course it's it's impossible when they're hurt and out of the lineup. Um so what's the latest status on the weight room construction, locker room renovations? I've yet to hear an update because besides some behind the scenes footage on old behind the battle episodes. Have you been in there much in person? I've been in the, the dressing room. Sure. Um, not the back weight room. I've not taken the grand tour. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's one of those things. I think, I don't know. It's, it's nice. I'm glad they got it done. I think the players enjoy it, but, um, what does it all mean? If you're, if you're, uh, you know, bringing up the rear in the standings, What's the nobody ever know the the Red Wings ever complained about playing in Joe Lewis Arena when they were winning Stanley Cups? What's the outlook on Bjork? I think he's done a good job since being called up. Yeah, you know he's done a real good job. Uh, Sean, this is from Sean M. asking about Bjork and does that move the needle on his future with the big club? I think he's done nothing but help his his future with the big club. Sure. I also think Tim Tim Bernie has opened some eyes here lately with his play. Um, really smooth instinctive player. One thing I love about Bernie, watch him play, skates with his head up. He's not constantly looking to make sure the puck is still on the stick. Um, he's a calm, smart player. And I think, you know, I, I, I've been thinking this for a little while. One of the silver linings, if you're, a, if you're an endless optimist as I am, uh, um, one of the benefits of going 12 deep on your on your depth chart defenseman is you learn, you see things. There are some guys that play better at the NHL than they do in the American league. Bernie seems to be one of them. Um, I think he likes the, the, the overall talent level up here. I think he likes that the play is a little more structured up here. He's a very structured type thinking player. Um, and sometimes the games in the American hockey league can get a little frantic. Um, so I, I think he's, he is, he has done well. I think Christensen has at, at times too. Um, 
I think those guys have all jumped Bayreuth here on the depth chart, for instance. So, you know, they can use this to their advantage. So can the Blue Jackets, too. It doesn't all have to be a lost cause. Even when things go off the rails, there's some, you know, there's some things you can you can sort of gain from it. Um, let's see. Sad to hear, this is from Craig L. Sad to hear what Voracek is going through. Is this possibly career-ending for him? Uh, is it possibly career-ending? It is. I don't think anybody wants to say that it is career-ending yet because they don't know. I don't think he wants to give up on the possibility of playing, but I think he is um, being honest with himself, acknowledging that it could be that for him. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll be hearing more about Jake as we go along for sure. Um, following up, Andrew C. says, it seems like the team has been especially injury-prone. Is there a reason for this, I, or is it just coincidence? This is from Andrew C. I think it's coincidence, Andrew. If you remember several years ago, the Blue Jackets had a rash of groin injuries, specifically groin injuries, and they never they they many of them got better and then suffered again, got better and suffered again to the point where you you wondered about their training. Um, these are all over the map. Like we saw Wierenski's injury happen. Um, a broken bone. I'm not sure you can train your way out of that. Um, these are not soft tissue pulls. These are, I mean, Gavrikov takes the puck to the mouth. Uh, Bean has a shoulder injury based upon a hit. Um, yeah, I just think it's, I just think it's tough. The bar, this is from Christopher A. The bar at section 118 has been closed all season. I've heard rumors that's going to be a sports book when it reopens. Is that true? And you know when it reopens? I don't know, but I know something's coming January 1st from the world of gambling because I keep hearing about it. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I don't have any information on that. Sorry. I should get out of the press box more often. Who comes out when Bocas comes back in? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Bernie and Bjork are giving them something to think about. Maybe Bjork because in, in Bocas they'll have. Their second, well, actually, York is their first power play guy. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I would imagine Bokefist becomes the top power play guy. So does that push um, York out or Bernie out or Christensen out? Not sure. We shall watch. Um, Ryan A says, how is Vogelhuber viewed across the league? Is he a potential head coaching candidate at the NHL level sooner rather than later? I can tell you this. I don't know about across the league because I don't think he's interviewed for many jobs yet. But the players who play for him in Cleveland and the former NHL players that work with him absolutely love Trent Vogelhuber and think he's going to be a hell of a coach someday. Um, he played for John Cooper when he was in juniors. He played um, for Bednar. He played for Larson. He's sort of taken a little bit from all of them. I think he's really opened eyes in this organization. They think very, very highly of him. I'm not sure if the next job that opens in Columbus is ready for him or if he's ready for it. But I think he's a guy that they'd like to keep in organization and view him as a potential a future candidate. Let's go to Teo J. Teo, go ahead. You are on stage. 
Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Am I coming through? I got you. What's going on? All right. Appreciate you doing this. Finally, I'm able to get on here. I've been working all the time. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Um, oh, yeah. Wanted to ask a question about, I guess, ownership and management since, honestly, the on-ice product is pretty depressing right now. But yep. uh, in your eyes, I guess, there have been, like, rumors throughout the years about different uh, different ownerships and how uh, how they affect hockey decisions, whether they're, you know, meddling with general managers and stuff. Do you have an idea of how uh, CBJ ownership is as far as making hockey decisions and how uh, how involved they are in the process? And at what point do, like, John Davidson and Yarbo have to go to them to approve decisions? Like, where are they in that decision-making process? Yeah, so I, I don't think in the day-to-day hockey operations decisions that ownership has much, much to say about anything. The, the times when you... Certainly, they are notified before a big trade is made, and it's not it's not so much. What do you think about this? Because I don't think I don't think John McConnell spends too much time uh, evaluating hockey players everything his own. Um, I'm not in any way diminishing how much he cares. I, I think that's all where it needs to be. But um, for instance, when they signed Johnny Gaudreau, it is. You know, what are we talking about money-wise? And then you go to the ownership and say, hey, this is your money. What do you think? And my understanding is that if, if a compelling case is made, that they say yes more often than not. Um, I don't want to say it's a dream situation because I, I, I don't want to overstate things. But I know there are markets where the owner weighs in much, much more than they do here. I think only large expenditures or... Uh, trades involving major players go past the owner before they go public. Um, and it, it's not so much what do you think of this player or that player. Here's what we're going, here's what we're thinking of doing. Here's what the numbers look like. What do you think? And, you know, John Davidson's a big, big part of this because one thing that changed when he got here is the organization's never had a hockey person between the general manager and the ownership. They've always had a business person there. It was Mike Priest before before John Davidson got here. Mike Priest is still in charge of the business side. He's still, uh, that's often what they mean by saying, uh, we got the approval of our ownership. It's going to the business side and saying, here's the, here's the ticket for Gaudreau. Here's what he does for us. Here's how things change. What do you think? Um, but I don't, it's not a day-to-day, we have to do this because the owner wants it, um, that you see in other markets. I mean, you hear Jerry Jones stories in Dallas and, you know, Haslam stories in Cleveland. It is not, it is not that. Um, I, I don't think anyone's uh, looks at Columbus and thinks that there's too much meddling by ownership. I think you can make a case that all of the standards that an organization plays under, uh, an owner can impact that. And it's only right to question that as you question other things with this organization. Have they built things the right way? Is there the right tenor around the organization? Are the right people nervous when they need to be? Are people too comfortable? Those are all fair questions, but I don't think meddling has been a problem. I hope that helps you. One more question. 
we're going to wrap it up on this one, so make it a good one. It's Jonathan B. Jonathan, sorry, Jonathan R. Jonathan, go ahead. Jonathan, sorry, Jonathan R. How you doing today, Porty? Good, man. How are you? Good, good, good. A um, couple things. First off, I wanted to ask, I just kind of was thinking about this the other day, I guess, is can you imagine where this Blue Jackets team would be right now if they did not sign Johnny Goudreau over the summer, uh, mm-hmm. given that he has produced so many points and how many games they would have lost in addition to this without him? Yeah, I, I mean, it's crazy because there's so many things that have not gone as planned here. And yet the one thing that that really has gone exactly how you'd expect it to, maybe better than you expected to from a free agent first-year player, has been Gaudreau over a point a game. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a fair point. Um, the other thing, you know, especially with you know, I think you always have to look at this thing if these things like. If this happened, then would this have happened? And if this happens, in other words, does is Voracek, Voracek's injured? And, and now with Gaudreau on the first line, I think the biggest concern is that Voracek gets better. It would be no matter the situation. If Voracek were still counting on to be, counted on to be the leading scorer on this team, um, then that's a devastating injury, not just to him personally, but also to the team. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, Gaudreau is is such a such a talent. I my thing that I think is so impressive is how he has handled this because he obviously signed here with the expectation that this was going to be a good team, and now it looks like, you know, they certainly have they've certainly pulled off the highway here and have gone down a um, a different road. You just wonder how long it's going to take him to get back. But, um, yeah, he, he's, his attitude seems to be great, and his play on the ice, as you mentioned, has been fantastic. For um, sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so then the other thing, you know, I, I just think of this, I want to bring that up, but the other thing I wanted to uh, comment a little bit and ask you a little bit more on with, as far as Elvis goes, uh, from what you are talking about with him earlier, I know that we talked uh, that you guys talked early on in his career that like he was athletic and that sometimes he tried to maybe make too many plays. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. me, as I'm watching him, that seems absolutely accurate that that this whole season, it looks like he is diving to make every single save. And then he's out of position for he's giving up rebounds out of position for rebounds. I mean, yeah. in the last few games, I think he's lost his stick every single game trying to make plays and like yeah. Yeah. multiple times. So, I mean, like, how do you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that, that you guys talked about this before, but how do you just get him to start settling down mentally? Because to me, that's where it comes from. Yeah. So that's a, when I spoke with Boucher and, and uh, Biron the last couple of days, that was a question I had for both of them. What's the path out of this? Because as we all know, the worst thing you can do to someone who is sort of frantic and, and overexcited is to tell them to calm down. That never works. Never works. It usually has the complete opposite effect. How do you slow a goalie down? And his thing was, they, they both said they'd like to watch practice and see what sort of things Manny Legacy has Elvis working on. Is he is he making is he working on saves that are near post, uh, down butterfly, far post? 
Um, in other words, boom, 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 quick, repetitive, or is it very simple? Um, here's going to be a shot to your left, hug the post, and bang, drill, one drill after another. Simplified, basic, um, foundational goalie principle practice points. And they think it should be the latter. In other words, stop the puck. Not seven times, not the incredible save, just stop the puck. Um, be on your points, be on your posts, be where you need to be, and let everything kind of grow from there. Um, we've seen it from an early age with Elvis that he he has the makeup where he wants to be the team's savior every night. And in the NHL, at that position especially, that's not necessary, and it's not it's not needed. But I think when you get when you start to get poor results, it can only it can it can often manifest as just pressing even more. And I, I do think he's been better. I don't think he's good enough. But like early in the season, you would see the team would be the opponent would be established in the zone, and Elvis would be confronting a shooter from one of the face-off circles and be almost in the bottom of the circle himself, like way out of the crease. And you don't see that anymore. I, he's not exactly where he needs to be. He does overplay things. Um, but I don't think he's quite that out of control as he was early. You mentioned him dropping a stick and the stick is everywhere. He has the stick about 60% of the time, it seems. All of that, according to Baron and, and Boucher, is all a product of overplaying. It's it's trying to make the fantastical acrobatic save. Um, and I think it was Baron that mentioned what Patrick Waugh always worked on when he was struggling, which he rarely was struggling. But when he struggled, it was always back to the very basics of goaltending where you would think a guy like Wall would be beyond that. But those are the things that he wanted to strengthen as the way out. And then you need, in his defense, you need a game that this team used to deliver to Bobrovsky a couple times a week where you'd look at the sheet at the end of the night and Bobrovsky would have made 22 saves. And none of them were spectacular. None of them had to be. Um, and those games just don't really exist for this team right now. It's almost always 30-plus saves, and you're looking at some two-on-ones um, and some wide-open breakdowns, although, again, not as bad as it was early in the season. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank, yeah, you. Well, thank you. I think we're going to end it there. Next week, is is uh, we'll probably do it a little earlier in the week rather than uh, closer to the holiday weekend. And I'm not sure what we'll do the week after that. But thanks for, for, for listening. Thanks for being part of this. Hope uh, we got to all your questions. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. Uh, thanks so much. Take care. Have a good week. Take care.